Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of The Ride. This is Nicole. And I'm Michaela. Uh, and this week we have a really cool guest. We sat down to talk with Carla Schweitzer, and she is an up-and-coming horse trainer um, based in the Midwest. And she has a really cool story on how she got started in, in the horse industry. She didn't come from a barn or a family that has a barn or a family that have a background with riding. Um, and, you know, she had a late start in riding compared to a lot of other horse trainers and, and people in the industry that are professionals. And so she, um, she really had to make up for a lot of lost time and, and she did. And now she's doing some really cool events all over the place. I mean, she is, she literally does everything. Yeah, and she's only 25, so she's super young, but to see her ride, you wouldn't even realize that she got a late start into horses and is so young, because she really does have some talent, and the horses that she works with shows how great she is with a horse. Yeah, so we, we break down everything about her first horse, which came from a kill lot, which is usually not how a lot of people, you know, that's not normally their first horse, so that's a really interesting story in itself, but she does the Liberty stuff. She does freestyle reining. She does regular reining, ranch riding, trick riding. I mean, she does a whole assortment of stuff. And um, she's worked with some really great professionals, Dan James being one of the most popular names that our listeners have probably heard of and have seen. Yeah. And so diving into some current events, bouncing off of the reining, we had the NRBC just happened and it was huge. Yeah. So the... For for people who are into reining, show reining, or, or just a fan of the sport like I am, um, the NRBC normally happens in um, the beginning of summer um, in Katy, Texas, but because of COVID-19, they weren't able to hold it there uh, because there was an outbreak happening in that county, and they weren't allowing that large amount of people in one area at a time. So the NRBC actually got pushed back to... Um, the end of August in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is a totally new venue for the event. And um, yeah, it turned out to be huge. You know, they, they put on some Yellowstone. They had a Yellowstone rookie shootout, which I believe was going to take place at the Run for a Million. But because they didn't do that this year, they kind of tied in some of the Run for a Million events there. So that was really fun to see rookies compete two days in a row. And then the top five went and they got to show in the big pen where all the open trainers show and they they went for the shootout and and um you could have won a life-size horse that has the word yellowstone on it oh what a, what a cool prize i would have had that in my house since i love yellowstone and horses like what a prize i just want to know how people got it home because like i usually fly to horse shows that are out of state and I don't have a horse trailer, so we'd have to, like, save a stall, like, a slot in the trailer just to load the trophy home. Yeah, wait, hold on. Let me just load this horse that won't move. He's the worst about loading. Anybody have tips and tricks? Check out horseandrider.com. <laughs> so, anyway, kind of going back to the NRBC, it was huge, and uh, they had some really cool events. And it was kind of cool because normally the NRBC, like I said, happens earlier in the year. But because they held it later in the year, you got to see what the three-year-olds are looking like. And, you know, those are going to show at the Paturity at the end of November. And so it was really kind of cool to see what they're looking like. And some of them are showing one-handed. And there's some really cool three-year-olds this year. It's going to be a good Paturity. Oh, that's so exciting. I mean, hopefully that all still happens coming up in that time of year. But um, I know Equitana ended up being canceled, but 
they are having a month-long virtual event, right, Nicole? Yeah, so we had originally mentioned in the magazine that Equitana was going to be happening. And at the time of press, um, it was happening. But shortly after, we did get the the email that they had to cancel because of COVID-19. So they are doing um, a month-long virtual program to celebrate the horse, which is kind of what their their event was all about, is celebrating the horse. So they found a way to do it digitally. So you can learn more about the schedule um, on their website, which is EquitanaUSA.com. And I think it's already started. I think it was supposed to start September 1st. So if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, I highly recommend checking it out. They also have some stuff that is really great for kids too. So if your kids need something to do, they're bored at home because everything's canceled, you should check it out. For sure. And then another event that's happening end of September, early October is the Arizona Fall Championship, which with all of the other big horse shows being canceled, this one is likely going to be a big one. And we are going to be doing some Instagram takeovers during that time. Yeah. So um, as we have talked about in previous episodes, the Quarter Horse Congress was canceled. Um, and that's a huge horse show that takes place in Ohio in the for the month of October. It's about four, four weeks long. Um, and it's it's a hard show to I, I would imagine it, it it brings a lot of foot traffic and so they couldn't have that many people in that place at the same time. But Arizona, um, it's more outdoors. You're not stuck in these tiny indoor arenas and next to each other because it's a, lo- a lot colder in Ohio in October. Um, so yeah, the Arizona Fall Championship was already going to be going on, but with the cancellation of the Quarter Horse Congress, a lot of a lot of people that normally go to Ohio are now planning to go to Arizona and we're going to be covering it thanks to smart pack. So be sure to, to be on the lookout for our website. We're going to have some cool content that talks about what's going on at the show and, and hopefully get a couple of Instagram takeovers with people who are actually there. Yeah. And we'll also have some information in our newsletters. So if you aren't signed up for our newsletters, head over to our website and you can sign up for our newsletters there and you'll get all of the, up-to-date information for the Arizona Fall Championships. Um, and then kind of going off, I, I, you know, this is the events portion of our um, podcast and um, a huge announcement just happened. I think it was this morning or maybe last night is the NFR is moving to Texas, which is the first time it's ever done that. And it's going to be taking place at the Globe Life Field, which has a retractable roof and seats about 40,000 people. So it sounds like... Um, it sounds like NFR is going to continue, but this time in Texas, which I'll be really curious to see how that works out because the cutting finals are going to be going on in Fort Worth as well. So there might be some big crossover. Yeah, I think that'll be a huge crossover. I've noticed that, I mean, being a barrel racer, a lot of my Facebook friends are barrel racers or rodeo fans, and they are probably more excited for it to be held in Texas than they are in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is a fun venue and as a barrel racer that is just the place to aspire to go is the bright lights of las vegas but you know texas is a great place for horse events and rodeo in particular so i think that this year's nfr is going to be a good one and you know our sister publication the team roping journal is probably going to cover a lot of that with team roping and now you know they don't have breakaway at the nfr but hopefully they do sometime soon but I think they'll have a lot of crossover with different events and just a variety of events going on down there in Texas while in this December 
that's all we have for events today. So we're going to jump into this interview. I hope you guys love it as much as Michaela and I enjoyed talking to Carla. Today we have Carla Switzer with us on the podcast. Hi, Carla. Thank you for joining us. Hi, guys. It's nice to be here. So I have spoke with Carla previously, and she has a pretty cool story of her upbringing with horses. And you might have seen a video floating around Facebook with a little girl doing some liberty work with a gray horse. And this gray horse is actually Carla's horse, and it's a horse that along with her growing up story, is just super special. So, Carla, can you kind of start from the beginning and share that whole entire story that you've shared with me before? Yeah, I'll try, I'll try to keep it short and simple. Um, so, when I was younger, I was in foster care. My uh, original parents, they were um, yeah, just not the best people, kind of drug addicts. Um, my original dad, he wasn't actually in the picture. And... Um, when I was younger, I got adopted by, well, I was in foster care with this couple and my mom who adopted me always felt like she was led to have an orphanage and that God had told her that she would raise kids that were not her own. And so she fell in love with me and my twin brother and she adopted us. She actually ended up going on to adopt 15 kids <laughs> total and she homeschooled all of us. Uh, when I was like 15, um, I expressed an interest in horses. I hadn't really rode horses up to this point, but I was like, I'm going to be a trainer. This is the way it's going to go. <laughs> so my mom's like, okay, well, we're not going to spend a lot of money on a horse that um, we don't even know if she's going to stick with this or not. So we went to an auction and we got a total of five horses. One particular that really stuck out to me was a little gray mare. And she was pretty dark, um, almost black colored. And she was, had like this big hay belly. And I was like, she was super thin, had a big hay belly. I got her for $10. I thought she was the most amazing horse ever. Uh, she was feral. You couldn't catch her. And she was just a three-year-old, never been handled kind of thing. And, well, she had a baby a few days later. And I found out why uh, she was sold so cheaply <laughs> to me. So my parents were less than thrilled that I came home with more than just that one. <laughs> So my brother ended up t selling off the other four horses, and I kept Mouse. Um, the first day that I worked with her, I remember I stepped in the same round pin as her, and her response to that was to flip over the side of the round pin, and she got loose, and I had to be like 50-acre pasture, and it took us three days to catch her again and bring her back in the round pin. So she was just, you know, feral. My parents got me this uh, fundamental kit that Clinton Anderson uh, made. And so I remember going cover to cover, you know, all the DVDs, trying to watch and trying to learn everything I could about horses. And I remember one specific time, the mare went from jumping over the round pin to charging at me. And I remember I went inside and I sat down and I told my mom, I said, well, the mare keeps uh, running at me. I think she wants to kill me. And <laughs> she said, well... I said, I, what do your DVDs say? I said, well, I went through all the DVDs. The, the DVDs don't actually say what to do if your horse tries to kill you. Um, so I'm not sure where I go from here. And she said, well, I guess you better 
get you a willow switch because that's what I'd do to you if you ever did that to me. <laughs> so I went out to the tree and I got myself a willow switch and that horse came running at me and, you know, I got her off of me. And I think that was probably the first day that her and I actually started to have an understanding of each other. And I would say it started with that respect, you know, where I was like, um, you can't run me over whenever you want to. Um, my parents had this old Basel and I mean, it was probably mostly pieced together, honestly. I didn't have my own saddle. So I remember trying to get this horse okay with riding. And I remember riding her through the yard, like half on her and half off of her. And the mare would throw me into a tree. And then I had to get up and do it again. And this went on for like oh, two years or so. Finally got the mare where I could ride her. I went to Equifest when I was 16. So I had the mare for almost a year. And I could ride her. I mean, kind of, I could steer her and stop her. So I consider that successful. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I went to Equifest and uh, for the first time I saw a guy that's clean. And I remember watching him and all of his Liberty horses. And I probably had my jaw on the floor. I was like, wait, horses will listen to you like to this level. <laughs> like <laughs> they do all this Liberty and they lay down and they do all these tricks. And it's just phenomenal to me. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that horses you know, could be trained to this level. So um, I went home and I started looking things up on YouTube. Okay, okay, I want my horse to do all this. So, you know, just being on that journey of teaching her to lay down and to rear and to roll over and, um, you know, just all these tricks and ride bridalists and do the Liberty. Um, Dan James actually helped me out a lot with the Liberty. I didn't really understand the Liberty too much. And he spent pretty much an entire summer helping me understand that. Um, and the mare's now 13 years old, and she is awesome. She's gotten solid enough for, you know, little kids to do Liberty with her, and she lets little kids ride her. Um, she still has a need for speed, but other than that, you know, she's, she's a really cool mare. So I'm kind of excited to see where our journey continues to take us. I feel like she's pretty young still. You know, she's only 13. And um, I would say uh, I didn't want to perform with her for a long time. I just loved having her. Like, I was obsessed with having her. I thought, oh, she does all these tricks in this Liberty. I didn't need to go and perform in front of crowds or anything. I just loved doing it with her. And so, actually, uh, about four years ago, I decided I was going to sell her. I said, I'm done with the mare. You know, I, I want to do reigning horses. That's what I want to do. So, I didn't want the mare anymore because she couldn't do reigning. And I let some people talk me into selling her, you know, she's not the horse that's going to take you where you want to go. So I sold her and I did sell her on a buyback contract. And about two years later, the lady who bought her called me and said, Hey, you want to buy her back? And I was like, yes. I said, I miss this mare every single day. I couldn't stop thinking about her. I was an idiot for letting her go. So I drove that day to pick her up. And got her back home and, you know, found out some things had happened while she'd been gone that were not the best. I would tie her up and then, you know, brush her forelock and she just about pulled my barn down. She was so head shy. I couldn't walk into her stall anymore and halt to her. You know, just all of the years that I had spent building this horse up into what she was, it seemed like it was all gone. You know, and I remember just sitting in the washer act crying like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I failed this horse. Like, I sold this horse. I bought this horse to get a good home. And I ruined her. And so it probably took her about five or six months. But she started coming around. And to this day, she still, you know, gets uneasy about people flipping whips around. Uh, obviously, she lets us do the liberty. Um, but, you know, if you were jumping on her bareback and you flipped the whip at her, you know, she gets a little bit nervous. She still thinks she's going to get hit with it, I guess. But I think 
that'll continue to go away, you know, as time goes on, you know, just slowly but surely kind of thing. So that's kind of where she's at right now. She does, um, she loves kids. Something about kids is always, she takes better care of kids than she does her own mother. <laughs> now, um, going back to when you said you were 15 and, and you had had, like, not a lot of horse experience, what kind of triggered that I want to be a horse trainer? Did you see a movie? Had you been around, like, horses at, like, a certain event? Or, or what kind of caused that? So... I don't actually know what caused that because I actually wanted to be a police officer. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> because it's really funny to think about now, me as a police officer. Um, I don't remember really seeing any specific movie. I wasn't really super into horses. Um, my neighbor did have this horse that they ended up giving to us. His name was Buck. And he was the first horse I ever rode. And I didn't know anything about horses. My brother saddled him for me and I got on and he dumped me. <laughs> I had to get like four stitches across my forehead because and my mom, I remember her telling me, you got to get back on. You got to get back on. That's she knew kind of some stuff about horses, but not a lot. Um, but she said, you have to get back on. Or you're never going to get on again. And I was like, oh, I'm not horses. I don't want to do this. <laughs> People die doing this. But I don't remember a specific thing that triggered wanting to get into horses. Um, it probably was a movie or a video that I saw. Probably Flicka or Black Beauty. I mean, let's be honest. Somebody galloped across the field bareback and bridleless, and I got heart eyes or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. And then that was before I realized all the work that went into it and how rewarding it could honestly be. You know, I, th I think the work part of it was honestly probably what drew me. You know, I've always wanted to work for something. And I would say in big part, too, that helped with it was – I needed at that time in my life, I was really struggling with the fact that my original parents didn't want me. I was like, you know, what, what was so wrong with me that they didn't want to raise me? And I was really struggling with that. And I would say Mouse really helped me through all of it because I could look at her and say, you know, well, somebody else didn't want her either. So I understood a lot where she was coming from. And I think at the time I was really angry. You know, I was just, you know, I didn't want to accept that my parents had adopted me and said, look, we're going to love you as our own. You know, I was like, why am I broken? And I guess it took me a while to realize that I wasn't broken and that my horse wasn't either. So I think that honestly was a big part of it. And getting to work for, for something and see the improvement every day, you know, that really, that, that was something that encouraged my parents were always really hard workers. You know, they raised our own meat, you know, grew a garden, that kind of stuff. And kind of raised us if you want something you have to work for it and I think that was probably a big part of it I got a sense of pride from working with her you know I was like wow you know this is really cool so um, I think I did spend an obsessively amount of time with the horse to the point that my parents were willing to ground me from her so <laughs> like, they did hold me kind of on the straight and narrow there through my teenage years but I would say honestly at the end of the day I think that horse saved me from something I don't know the path that I was headed down, but I do know I was angry, and I do know that I was not willing to accept that somebody could just adopt a child that was not their own and love them, you know, as their own child. So I think that horse, honestly, at the end of the day, she probably saved me from a way worse life. <laughs> so honestly, a friend of mine, she quoted, you can be bitter, you can be better. And I take that with my horses as well, even horses that come into training, you know, I'm like, look, you can spend all your life being mad, kicking out, rearing, fighting, or you can just get better. So I like that philosophy. 
Yeah, well, I think it's so cool that, I mean, you kind of just said it best that, you know, the horse saved you, but in a sense, you saved the horse, and yeah. your story's just kind of, I, I just think about your story quite often, and how cool it is that, you know, you both kind of had a similar, you know, thing going on, where, you know, somebody took her, and you took her in, and you adopted her, essentially, and, you know, gave her a better life, and so... Were there any moments going through there that you did want to give up? I know you said that your parents raised you to be a hard worker, but I know having a horse like that, surely you wanted to give up at some point in time. Yeah, I think the first time she flipped over the gate, I was like, what have I done? This is not like Flicka at all. <laughs> I don't remember this part in the movie. <laughs> I think people didn't understand. Like, for me, I, I, I think I was so desperate to find one thing in my life that I could build on and I could achieve. I think I was so desperate to find that one thing that I just latched onto her and just went 110% in. You know, I there's not really too many times. There are a lot of times that I can remember sitting down and thinking, you know, why isn't this horse, you know, behaving? Why, why doesn't it look like the other horses? But then at the same time, I mean, I probably spent six hours a day with the horse. You know, I was spending so much time with the horse and she would do things. I mean, she would buck me off, you know, she would knock me off and pretty sure my neighbors thought I was crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, she would just do so much and she never really got me seriously hurt. Also, I was scared to tell my parents when she bucked me off because <laughs> they said that if she bucked me off, I wasn't allowed to ride her anymore. So I, I remember one day I took her out and we had like, 80 acres in Kansas and I took her out she kept bucking me off and then she would run off well my parents would see her with a saddle on or a bridle after they got me my sat her saddle and I was like they're gonna know she bucked me off because the horse can come flying through the yard you know without a rider go headed back to the barn because <laughs> that was her thing head back to the barn so I remember it's like the worst horrible horsemanship idea ever but I remember I tied her to a tree with like, like a 50 foot long line and it wasn't even like horse rope it was cable of some sort and I would run in circles around this tree. And every time she would buck me off, she would hit the I, I knew she wouldn't get away from me because she couldn't. So I remember I did try to hide that from my parents because they were like, you know, you're not going to get hurt. Like, don't, don't be getting hurt doing it. So I, little things like that. I'm kind of going off on a little rabbit trail here. But <laughs> little things like that. I remember I did have to hide that from them. But I was pretty um, – I've always been extremely um, – where there's a will, there's a way. You know, my parents had definitely instilled that in me since I was really little. So there was not really any times where I was like, I'm going to give up. This isn't worth it anymore. Like, for me, I, I think I was just so desperate to make it worth it. You know, I, I don't think I even had the idea that it might not work. Like, I was like, well, if I get bucked off a million times, it'll be only been once time that she lets me ride her. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's just when you're... When you're so angry sometimes, you know, you, you can funnel all of that energy in one direction. And I was able to take all of those other emotions and just just pour it into this horse. And I don't think it was fair to her all the time because I remember that one time when I was chasing – she charged at me. I didn't tell the other half that story. She was running from me, and I was chasing her with this whip that I cut off of a willow tree. <laughs> like I'm, like, running after her, like, trying to smack her. And I was like, oh, okay, I think she's good. <laughs> So I was like, you come back here and do it one more time. <laughs> but, yeah, I think she definitely got the short end of the stick, so to say, multiple times. But luckily for me, she's pretty forgiving about that stuff. 
and now it's it's kind of comical because now you know I think about the way that I I just cared about running really fast back then and now I'm older and I've trained some horses you know and I'm like why don't we lope slow and she's like well why would we do that because I think she still wants me to be the 15 year old that wants to run fast all the time so I think that's why she likes the kids better because the kids like to run fast <laughs> that so reminds me though of like new people who are like new to riding or like you know you go to like a dude ranch and they're just like I want to gallop I want to be free I want to do cowboy stuff and and I'm over here like I'll just walk like I'm good like I do this all the time like let me just walk and look at mountains <laughs> right so somewhere along the line I quit um I gotta go fast and then like my friends are like so what do you think about barrel racing I'm like hate it <laughs> like I don't want to do barrel racing <laughs> like why like I don't know, just the whole idea of going fast, I like very slow and correct. Like, that's the way I like things now. <laughs> like, and I think that's just how my mind is geared. Like, I've always been geared towards the control. I just didn't always know how to achieve it, you know. And Mouse is probably still to this day the only horse that I'm like, yeah, we can go for a short gallop. That'd be fun. Because it's not really a gallop. It's more like her just flat out galloping until I pull back on her for the next 200 yards and say she needs to stop (laughs) like oh nice little hand gallop you know it's very very controlled there's not really a lot of control when mouse flat out gallops it's just mouse gallops (laughs) oh my gosh well I mean you do kind of still get a little bit of speed in there because you compete in the raining right yeah yeah and I trick ride too so um I actually did trick ride on mouse for a while then I kind of outgrew her she's kind of a smaller frame so I moved to trick ride on a different horse but my trick riding horse actually used to be a reigning horse so I can literally be like in the suicide drag and go easy and she'll like cut her speed in half so I mean she's really fast don't get me wrong but I have control over her and I've always been geared towards control like my friends they have trick riding horses and they're like you can use one of mine I'm like no thanks I'd like I like to live (laughs) I choose life (laughs) So how'd yeah, you get I, into the trick riding? <laughs> I actually started off thinking I might want to be a trick rider. So I worked for Tommy Turvey for a while. And then Jenny kind of pulled me into the whole, hey, you want to be a trick rider? You know, you need to go out there and perform. You've got this awesome Liberty horse and she does all these tricks. Why aren't you performing with her? And I was like, I just like, I just like having her. Like, I just like enjoying her. And so Jenny's the one who was like, you're going to be a performer. And then I did a couple of shows and I was like, yeah, this is a lot of fun actually. So now I'm like, okay, I'll do a few more. Um, That's pretty much how that started. So I went from trick riding and I think the one thing that I didn't like about the trick riding was the lack of control, the lack of horsemanship. I've always been geared towards horsemanship. Um, There's just not a lot. The trick riding horses are kind of more like barrel horses. (laughs) Just turn them loose. Good luck. We'll see you in the corner. (laughs) Hope you live. So, uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't interest me as much. You know, I say to this day still, like, I'm still not somebody who was, like, gung-ho to trick ride. You know, somebody can trick ride. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I like my Roman team. I do like Roman riding way better than trick riding. But my goal is to have my Roman team at Liberty. So, my Roman team is currently my Liberty team as well. And my goal will be to Roman ride them at Liberty. So, it's kind of the goal. So that's a little different than regular Roman riding. It's not just, you know, here's some big bits, let's run fast. I'm, like, trying to train them to go slow and be correct. Yeah, well, that's super cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's a work in progress. I don't think it's something that happens right away. (laughs) 
So um, how did you originally get into the reining? I know that, you know, you've had a very different start from a lot of the horse trainers that we work with where they kind of, you know, grew up showing and then they progressed into like, you know, being in a more specific discipline. How did you, how did you get into the horse showing aspect? There's a guy that I worked for, you know, I decided to go start Colts, you know, that kind of stuff. So I went and started Colts. We rode about 15 Colts a day. And um, we did, I did that for a couple of years and it wasn't the right fit for me, but he did introduce me to showing. And there's a competitive edge to it and you have to have a horse that's good, you know, and there was control in the ranch horse and the reining. I like to do the, to do both. Um, that I just fell in love with. I love going and competing on him, especially if I have a really good horse, you know, and my clients, you know, I've been blessed with some clients that have great horses that have, you know, asked me to show them. So I think just working for that trainer, honestly. And then I was like, yeah, this is, this is a great idea. Was it, um, was it a reigning trainer? Is that, or, or did you just like go to a horse show and see a bunch of different events and be like, I think that's my event. No, I, I, he was a ranch horse reining trainer, kind of both. So the ranch reining is a little different than the NRHA reining. Um, and the NRHA reining, I think, is where I'm kind of headed towards. I really like the NRHA reining. Um, and everyone's like, well, one little mistake can knock you out. And I'm like, that's the beauty of it. <laughs> like, one tiny mistake and you're done. So I think that's, you know, again, just keep moving down that spectrum of I like things to be perfect. So the more precise it is, the more I'm gravitating towards it. So I do like the ranch horse. The ranch horse has actually grown into a really uh, tough competition. I mean, you used to see uh, burned out rainers doing ranch horse, and now you see more and more younger horses gearing just towards the ranch horse, you know, and spending time in training. And uh, so I think uh, the ranch horse is, is getting very competitive. You know, the world show this past year was super tough. You know, there was a lot of really good horses there that weren't, you know, burned out rainers or anything. They were ranch horses, and then that's what they had been in training to do. You know, so I do like seeing how that organization is also growing. Um, that being said, the ranch horse is more diverse. You know, you have your trail, you have your reining, you have your working cow, you know, you have all of these classes. Um, the reining is more specific, and I'll probably always do both. But as for right now, the reining's really got my interest in RHA reining, you know, where it's a little bit more precise definitely has my attention <laughs> yeah no I think that's the beauty of the reining I was the managing editor of the NRHA reiner for a while and and I have a lot of experience working with those guys and being in that industry and it's so true you have one little bobble and and that's a half a point and you know between five judges those points add up pretty fast and and um you know I come from the performance horse world and it's so true you have to be you have to be perfect I mean you really do I think holds a sense of um excitement for a lot of people you know to be perfect it's so hard I mean you're looking at you see one act and that's literally years of practice you know I remember I've done the congress freestyle a couple of times and just practicing for that you know it's it's a lot you know and that's you know people say well you can make up your own pattern I'm like you can but I never have I've always ran a specific pattern because you have to do you know the same a certain amount of slides a certain amount of spins two lead changes so everything has to be you know even though you're doing it in your own order you still have to do it so it's like I've always ran a specific pattern and I guess the beauty of that the freestyle too is um no one knows what your pattern is 
So I know, I'm like, oh man, I was a couple of seconds behind my music and no one else knows that. <laughs> so that is yeah. sad though. Just not the perfect first... for yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just a perfectionist. I'm like, oh no, I messed that up. <laughs> the freestyle reading though is, it's a really cool aspect and it's, it's really cool to hear that you're interested in doing it and you're doing it. And I know growing up and showing at the Congress for a month straight, it was always fun to take a night off and go sit in the, you know, Coliseum and watch the, the freestyle. Cause it's just, it's fun. It's so much fun. I, I don't think that, I, I don't think I've been to a single show, you know, I've never been to the NFR, so that's probably saying something, but I don't think I've been to a single show that holds the same level of just booming excitement that you feel when you watch the freestyle or you're even you entered in it, you know, the first time that crowd erupts, you're like, oh my gosh, you guys are loud, <laughs> you know, you can't hear your own music when you're out there, you know, competing and people just are going nuts about it and I don't think there's any feeling in the world that compares to that feeling right there you know when you're walking in that entry gate and it's loud <laughs> yeah I mean you know you've been there it's it's loud and I don't think I've been to, ever been to a single show before that I've ever felt that way before you know, not just nervous because I'm nervous before every show but like <laughs> that's just me that's just me and I, I think it's because I care so much that makes me a little bit nervous, which I don't think I ever want that nervousness to go away because I think it makes me care, you know, and I've put 110% effort into it because I'm nervous about what it could be like. <laughs> so that's a pretty cool feeling, though. Yeah, absolutely. So you train horses. So do you train horses specifically for reining, liberty, you know, Roman riding? Or do you just do it all, whatever a client wants, you, you do? So, it, it's a little bit specific. Um, I do pick and choose a little bit. But, honestly, I like to do the colt starting. So, if a colt's going on to be a barrel horse, that doesn't bother me to start him, you know. Or, he could be going in any discipline. But, I don't train horses for barrels. So, it's just um, reining, ranch horse, and liberty, mostly. Um, I do have two gypsy cobs in right now. And they're both imported and they're for Liberty. And um, I have three horses in right now for Liberty, a black Arabian too, which is rare for me to have this many in for Liberty and tricks, you know, but they're owned by a couple of photographers, so they want to use them for their business. So that makes sense. Um, and then I think I have a couple rainers in, a couple ranch horses in, and that's pretty much it. So you have your finished horses and you have your good ones. I tried to, um, I reserved one spot for my bad horse stall. <laughs> so it's like a horse that takes me a lot more effort and time. You know, I try to take only one of them at a time because I do want to do a good job. You know, I only take in six to eight horses. And I want to spend, you know, adequate time with each one of them and make sure that they're progressing. Um, unfortunately, if you get too many in the barn, it's, it's impossible to, you know, take each horse try to progress that way so I do try to make sure I have adequate time for each horse and whatever the client wants well I mean it's pretty cool that you're open to do whatever I know I've seen on Facebook you have uh is it a Palomino paint that you're working with and you have some cool photos of him sitting on like a beanbag chair doing some cool things and I just love his photos on Facebook <laughs> that's uh Choctaw you're thinking of um Choctaw was actually my very first 100 day competition so Choctaw was a feral stallion in the Appalachian Mountains and he has uh way too many babies on the ground um 
babies and counting. There was just one born last week. <laughs> so he has maybe 12 to 15 babies on the ground. He's a gelding. Um, so they had asked me to do this competition. It's called the Appalachian Trainer Face-Off. They had asked me multiple times to do this competition, and I was like, nah, you know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I just had never done a 100-day competition, and I wasn't sure, you know, if I even wanted to compete in that. And then they kind of suckered me into it. So they were like, well, he's, you know, 20 minutes from you. He's getting gelded. Why don't you stop by and look at him? And I was like, I'll look at him with my truck and trailer in tow. So I'll look at him. But if he can watch his gates, I'm bringing him back. So <laughs> luckily he didn't gate. Cause I don't have any experience with gated horses. So I try to steer clear. Um, he didn't gate. So I was like, okay. And he was so skinny. They kind of whipped me into that. And I just fell in love with it. Oh, my gosh, he's amazing. He was a little bit shy, you know, and I had to keep a drag rope on him for a while so I could catch him in his call. <laughs> so, yeah, other than that, everything was really good. Um, he progressed really quickly. We did the competition at the end of August. He ended up fourth overall. Um, I was really happy with him. Uh, he was riding one-handed. You know, he came. He was probably my best 100-day horse ever. <laughs> You know, you know, I shot off of him and uh, had him sit down on the beanbag and stuff like that. And so, actually, at the end of the competition, it's kind of like the Mustang makeover. All the horses are auctioned off. So, he actually sold $5,500. And then the lady sent him back with me for more training. So, I actually still have him. <laughs> so, I'll probably have him for a few more months. But I really like him. He's just like a typical gelding. I mean, the kids ride him now. So, he's uh, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. I see his photo on Facebook all the time, and I'm like, oh, look at all the cool things. Like, you know, he does it all, it seems like. So I, I had no idea about his story, though, that he was a 100-day horse. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. He's a little past the 100-day mark now, but he's so cool. Like, just mentally, he's a great horse. You know, he never really wanted to buck or rear or do anything like that. He just, like, I always joke and say, if you open up a dictionary and you looked up Gelding, his picture might pop up. <laughs> he was like, I don't want any trouble, you know, I'll do what you want, <laughs> which I love about him. You know, stallions can tend to go one way or the other when you geld them. You know, they either kind of still think they're a stallion or they're like, I am a gelding. <laughs> then he was definitely like, I'm a gelding. <laughs> so I appreciate that about him. <laughs> yeah, gil- geldings are the way to go sometimes. They they I drop like that him. attitude. <laughs> <laughs> and they're fun. They just have bubbly personalities. Every gelding I've had is just yeah. A bubbly boy and just loves life. <laughs> yeah, they they just kind of meander through life, you know. A mare's kind of like said, "Do I have to?" <laughs> but like, I've known some pretty gritty mares, you know, that were a lot of fun, but they were really tough to get going. So, a gelding can for be sure. For sure. Um, so do you have any like mentors or just people that you've worked under that you really credit with? Um, helping you progress as a trainer and a rider and an instructor? So there's two names that like really stick out to me when you ask that question. And the first one would be Dan James, uh, Double Dan Horsemanship. You know, he's helped me out a lot and always been there to answer my questions. You know, hey, how do I teach this horse liberty? You know, he's been really open. I don't live very far from him. So he's been very open to, you know, hey, come on over. We'll work on it kind of thing. And then, um, Robin Schuler, he's a reigning trainer in Ohio. He actually has my three-year-old maturity horse right now. And he's kind of a man of more few words, but just watching him and going to ride with him, I'm always in awe of the way that they ride and train. It just 
it's amazing. I love to learn from both of those trainers. And I think those, those two are like the highest top of my list. <laughs> yeah. You probably have a lot of people to credit considering you've done literally done it all. It seems like, so I'm sure there's a list too long to name absolutely everybody on it. Yeah. it. It does make it. Yeah. Those two people I could think of though are like, you know, it, if I could limit it, you know, down to one or two people, that would be who I would limit it down to. You know, they're both, they're great guys, both of them, you know. I'm going to show you guys know Dan um, and then Robin. I don't know if you guys know him or not. Um, he does a lot of the NRHA, so I don't know. I like both of them. <laughs> yeah, well, it's always great to, you know, keep learning. You're a trainer, but it's always nice. I mean, like you just said, you have your futurity horse with him, so you're not afraid to send a horse somewhere else or, you know, learn from other people. And that's so important being a trainer and, and you're clearly young too. So, and you haven't been doing horses for, you know, as long as a lot of other trainers and you do such a great job. I mean, from everything that I've seen and clearly that video went viral of mouse and was it Maddie, I believe. Yeah. yeah so like, I mean, what has it been? I mean, around 10, 15 years that you've been in horses, right? And so that's pretty amazing. I'm actually at 25. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, it really takes a village. Um, one person, I remember a guy I used to work for told me, he's like, you know, you're just talented, but I never wanted to take that to heart because I firmly believe that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. You know, and I've always believed that. And I always tell my friends, I'm like, if I ever become this stuck up person, I want you to uh, punch me as hard as you can. Because I've had people, you know, come up to me and downplay me, you know, and be like, oh, well, you know, you're, you know, you're all right or whatever. And I never want someone else to feel that way. You know, I never want someone else to be like, oh, that girl is a total, you know what. So I, I want people to feel like, I think we should be humble as horsemen, honestly, because the minute you think you know everything, along comes a horse to let you know you do not. <laughs> so Absolutely. I want to be the person that spends the rest of my life dedicated to horses, learning about horses. I want to always have an open mind about it and not be someone. I think if I ever get so stuck in my ways that I think I know it all, that I should probably stop training because then that's just defeating the purpose. You know, yeah, I, you know, the... The one thing about the horse training is that you're always, always going to be learning. I mean, there's always going to be something you don't know. And, and I think that's, it's really great that someone that is so young and is, you know, a professional in the industry has that viewpoint, because I, I do agree. I come from the horse show world and I come from the, the high end horse show world. And, and it is very, you know, secluded and clicky and, you know, people aren't so, you know, in my experience, people weren't so welcoming to new people or people who didn't have that same background or money or whatever. And, and so it's really, it's very refreshing to hear the the next generation of, of riders saying stuff like that, because I, that's been a huge, huge thing that I've been advocating for too. And, and I've ran into it, you know, like I said, you know, I've ha I literally have had people tell me that I could not own that color of horse. Like, because they owned that color of horse. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Like, I, There's I, only so many colors out there. Right. So I think, um, I think you're free to pick the horse regardless on what color. 
I took up Roman writing and he took the liberty, you know, but it's like that in any industry. I don't think you can limit it to, you know, the people who do Roman writing or the people who do reigning, you know, it's been like that in any industry. I've ran into people who are like, you know what, I'll help you out. Whatever you need, you let me know. I'm gonna help you out. Okay. And then I want to pass that along. Um, but then I've also ran into people that are like, no. Well, they don't want their secrets getting out, right? You know, like, it, yeah. it seems so secretive. And I just, I wish that our, our communication was more open. Yeah, I, you know, um, there's a camp I help out with in the summer. It's called Pass the Torch. And it's basically, you know, about, it's a trick riding camp, but it's basically about, you know, teaching the next generation. You know, if we don't pass this stuff on, it's, it, then it's a dime. That's a, and then, you know, the people wonder why, okay, well, horse trainers, you know, there, there's a couple good ones. Well, maybe if we were more open into sharing it to the younger generation who was, you know, open to learning, then it wouldn't be a dying art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are so many young horsemen and women who are eager to learn. Of course, you have the few that are like, oh, well, my parents bought me this horse and I'm going to ride it and then I'm going to hate it. But, I mean, then you have some that are like you as a child and so gritty and just willing to sit down and read a book cover to cover. And I think the older professionals, I mean, it's so great for the younger ones to learn from them, especially those who are so willing to share their information because everybody has a different method and learning everybody's method is going to help somebody develop their own. And I, I tell people, you know, I have people ask me, you know, what's your method? And I'm like, well, I don't really have a method because I don't believe horses can be put in a box. You know, I don't believe you can sit here and say, okay, well, this is what you need to do to fix this. You know, it's something you need to see, read the horse. I'll try, I find myself doing it all the time. I'll try something and then say, uh, you know, that this horse is understanding it and being presented in this way. Let me um, switch it up and try it from a different angle and see if the horse understands it better. So, you know, the people say, what do you do with a horse that bucks? And it's like, why is he bucking? You know, that's the first question, and until you evaluate the horse, you don't know why the horse is bucking. You know, so it's it's hard to um, help people out. Just even you know, getting Facebook messages all the time. You know, how do I fix this? How do I teach this? You know, it's like we need to see the horse and evaluate what's going on because there's no specific method. You know, I think to truly be an expert in uh, horses, I would think that, for example, you would have to have a horse rear the exact same way for the exact same reason at least a hundred times a different horse and the reality is they're not all going to do it for the same reason they're not all going to do it the same way so you could never truly be an expert you know and that's why we're all on this journey you know I, I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and say hey I have this horse you know what do you think <laughs> so and I'm fortunate to have friends that are my age and a little older you know that will pick up the phone and say oh okay you know what I had a horse like this a couple of years ago this is what I did you know so I think sharing that information that's that's where it's at <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So kind of going in a different direction, how can people find you on Facebook to see secretly your cool pictures of Choctaw? Because I mean, that's where I fangirl. But you know, whether they want you to work with a horse or just to see the cool things that you're doing, what are your social medias where they can find you? Okay, so I have uh, two Facebook pages, actually. One, I call it my personal page, but the reality is I don't actually post anything personal on it. <laughs> so it's Carla June Schweitzer, and then I have another page called KR Horsemanship. So I kind of have two, and then also on Instagram with the same name. So. Okay. 
And it sounds like people can look out for you at some of the, maybe the NRHA stuff coming up and, and oh. all the ranch riding. And I, I decided to sit out this year with my fraternity colt and let them show him. So I'm just learning right now. Um, but I'm hoping to do the derbies with them next year and kind of get started with that. So that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciated having you on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for tuning into the ride podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow horse and rider magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com. If you guys have any questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at aimmedia.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. How many stars, Michaela? Five stars, please.